재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Every Sunday, we start the show with Helen Cho's hot new releases. Helen is a freelance translator and interpreter. Hi, Helen. Hello. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. So last week, we talked about the 2016 Penn Literary Awards, discussing in particular the books shortlisted for the Penn Translation Award. We still have to wait a few weeks before we find out this year's winner. Today, let's go through the second translation category, the Penn Award for Poetry in Translation. Yes, let's do that. The Penn Award for Poetry in Translation was established in 1996 and is conferred every year in New York. And the award recognizes book translations of poetry from any language into English published during the current calendar year mm-hmm. and the committee the pen translation committee normally appoints a single translator of poetry as a judge and the past winners include the likes of Guy Devonport, Edward Snow, Peter Cole, um, Marilyn Hacker, and Carson and Edmund Keeley. Mm-hmm, the likes of Anne Carson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she translates from ancient Greek, I, I have been told. And I've actually read her translation of uh, Sophocles' Antigone, and I loved it. <laughs> she won her pen translation award for her translation of um, Agamemnon, Electra, and Orestes. Are you into Greek tragedies? Yes, all these Greek names actually bring back so many <laughs> memories from my high school days because uh-huh. I actually took a course in Greek tragedies when oh, you I was did? in high school. Okay. Uh-huh. And um, yes, they're just so fantastically um, dramatic and so right. extreme. I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> these people know how to get their revenge. Uh-huh. They sure do. Yes. I remember the first time I read Medea, I was uh-huh. horrified. I was like, this right, woman, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like there's no messing about with this woman. No, no. Medea yeah. <laughs> is a great, great story for Sunday morning. <laughs> yes. So who's on this year's shortlist for poetry and translation? So this year's shortlist includes The School of Solitude, Collected Poems by Luis Hernandez, Mm -hmm. translated from the Spanish by Anthony Geist. Um, The Peruvian poet Luis Hernandez is a legendary name in his native country and he published three books during his short life. Mm And he was an extremely um, gifted young man, but then he struggled with drug addiction and spent some time in rehab centres in his youth. And he published three collections of poetry before he um, reached the age of 24. Mm-hmm. I hate to say this, but he sounds like a Yun Dongju. Please don't tell me he died <laughs> oh, young. I'm afraid he did die oh, young. No. He was only 36 when he met his untimely death. And he didn't publish mm-hmm. another book before he died, but then he still... Um, wrote quite a lot and um, he left notebooks filled with poems and um, musical notations quote translations newspaper clippings and even drawings mm-hmm. so this new english collection the school of solitude is the first book of hernandez's poetry in english and it brings together a lot of materials from his notebooks like rare images um several poems that have never been published in any language before mm-hmm. so it's a really good book that gives you a um, very powerful and um, poetry and imagery and it's a good introduction to this really mysterious Latin American poet. 
Mm-hmm. And what's next on our list? The next one is a Chinese name, Wang Anxi. The late poems are Wang Anxi, um, translated from the Chinese from, by David Hinton. Um, mm-hmm. Wang Anxi was a Chinese economist, statesman, and poet of the Song Dynasty. Mm-hmm. So these are poems from the 11th century, right? Yes, from the ancient times. Wow. Um, the translator, David Hinton, has given us many translations of classical Chinese poetry and philosophy. And um, so he has actually earned himself wider claim for creating some really compelling contemporary texts that convey the actual texture and density of the originals. Mm-hmm. I think that's really every translator's dream, isn't it? Oh, yeah, to really create is. translations that carry the meaning and impact of the original. Right, especially if it was written so long ago. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're able to do that, that's... That's great, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he has won numerous fellowships, including a Guggenheim Fellowship. And in 1997, um, he received the London Translation Award for the Academy from the Academy of American Poets. Mm-hmm. We also have a Portuguese title on the list, right? Yes, I like this next one. It's called Rilk Shake mm-hmm. by Angelica Freitas, mm-hmm. translated from the Portuguese by Hilary Kaplan. And his um, Freitas's poems have been translated and published in German. German, Spanish, Swedish, Romanian, and English, mm. and maybe one day in Korean. Let's mm-hmm. have our fingers yes, crossed. Yes. yes. And um, her poetry is all about humor and innovation. And this collection, Real Shake, is only her debut collection, but then it has done really well. It was first published in Portuguese in 2007, and it's got some really funny elements like um, Gertrude Stein passing gas in a bathtub, <laughs> a sushi chef crying tears of whiskey, and Ezra Pound is also featured. He's kept in insane, uh, kept insane in a cage in Pisa. Mm-hmm. Whiskey tears. Uh, it <laughs> reminds me of that scene from Lost in Translation, Will, where um, Bill Murray does the whiskey commercial. Right? Have you seen that movie? Oh, I haven't. Oh, I have, you see it? Yeah, I should really. <laughs> and I hope nothing is lost in translation in this collection, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what's next on our list? The next um, collection is called I Burned at the Feast, selected poems, nice. <laughs> <laughs> selected poems of Asni Tarkovsky and translated from the Russian by Philip Meters and Dmitry Saltsev. I hope I'm saying these Russian names right. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tarkovsky was born in Ukraine in 1907, but he moved to Moscow in, two, in 1923 and um, where he worked as a newspaper journalist and where he published his first poems. Mm-hmm. Tarkovsky was also one of the leading poets of the Soviet era, and he himself translated Arabic and Persian poetry. My goodness, that's very impressive. Yes. <laughs> Um, his first volume of his own poems, um, Before the Snow, came out in 1962 when the poet was 55. So that was a relatively late start, I would say, for a poet. Mm-hmm. But it did really well. It sold out quickly. And it became um, his fame became even more widespread when um, his son, the interla- internationally acclaimed filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky, um, included some of his father's poems in his films. Um, so that's where you heard the name Tarkovsky from, if you've been wondering. <laughs> right. And the poet died in 1989, just before the Soviet Union fell. Mm, that's so unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. And our last title is from Japan, right? Yes. The Collected Poems of Chika Sagawa, translated from the Japanese by the translator Sawako Nakayasu. 
And um, she is now regarded as one of the first female modernist poets of Japan. Um, she was uh, Chikasagawa was the pen name of um, Aiko Kawasaki. She was born in 1911 in Hokkaido, Japan. Mm. Can you tell us more about her writing? Yes. Unfortunately, she is yet another poet who oh, died no. so young. <laughs> she died of stomach cancer at the age of 25. Oh, wow. So she had a really, really brief career, but they didn't stop her from becoming one of the most innovative and prominent and modernist poets in the mm-hmm. early 20th century Japan mm-hmm. and she was so different from other female writers of the time because at the time very few women in Japan wrote poetry but even those who did typically turned to traditional forms and addressed domestic concerns mm, right. but Sagawa broke away from all this and she refused to follow the tradition mm-hmm. and she used um, free verse in her poetry and she really included um, shockingly new images mm. to convey her meanings. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on, what publishing news from Korea do you want to share with our listeners today? So, well, Sal Selection, um, you must have heard of the magazine, is one of the most renowned, renowned, informative magazines in Seoul for known Korean speakers, for foreigners, and they have begun to publish visual book series on Korean heritage. Mm. And the first one of the series is called Visual Korean Heritage Number no. 1, Core Paintings from Joseon Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because I actually spent um, almost a month translating nothing but um, essays and court pa- well, paintings, actually, last year. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Fun times. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually came out of the experience feeling very educated because I had to do so much research mm. on traditional forms and traditional names and meanings. Mm-hmm. Right. So this book will be a really good opportunity for our listeners to find out more about Korean culture and traditions and put through the an art of court paintings from the Joseon dynasty. Mm-hmm. So are these paintings of court scenes or paintings by courtiers? Well, court paintings refer to artworks created by for the appreciation of the king, his family and high-ranking officials. Mm. So this book, and Visual Korean Heritage Number no. 1, is 170 pages long. And some 120 pages are filled with images and pictures of flowers, birds, mountains, the sea, the divine animals. Um, so it'd be really good um, in a book for our non-Korean-speaking mm. listeners to mm-hmm. really find out more about um, Korean culture. Right, right. And the author of the first book, Pak Dong-hae, serves as the um, as a professor at the Academy of Korean Studies, and she's a culture expert at the Korean Cultural Heritage Administration. Mm. Like most art in the past, I imagine the court paintings served a purpose that went beyond art appreciation, right? Mm-hmm. One of the major functions of the Joseon court paintings was education. So pictures of significant moments of history were used to help the king and princes learn from the past. And, mm-hmm. you know, they could cultivate a heightened sense of morality and mm-hmm. leadership through mm-hmm. these paintings. Pictorial guide to leadership. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like comic books. Yes, yes. This is the portrait of a good king. <laughs> yes. Right. Another crucial function of court paintings was both the documentation and the conservation of the visual culture of the age. So a bit like photographs that we take these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so they were used as um, means of documentation. 
And the various formats of royal court paintings of Korea have been exhibited all over the world and include folding screens, murals, paper sliding doors and government records. Mm-hmm. So they exist in different forms. Right, right. Let's turn our attention to the international publishing world. Tell us about some of the forthcoming titles this spring. Yes. Well, the magazine Publishers Weekly has recently announced a list of the most anticipated books of spring 2016, mm. chosen by the reviews editors from some 14,000 titles. Oh, wow. That's yes. a lot of titles. Okay. <laughs> and the most notable fiction books published in spring 2016 include, of course, The Vegetarian by Han Gang. Ah. The US version came out in early February. Mm-hmm. And it's the story of a Korean woman who suddenly decides to stop eating meat after having vivid, violent dreams. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this book several times on the show before, yes, didn't we? Yes, yes. And I think I've said it something like five times on this <laughs> show, but I will say it again. Congratulations, Han Gang. Yes. <laughs> and has translated Deborah Smith. Yes, yes, Deborah Smith, the translator. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next on our list? The next one on my list I'd like to mention is um, the 17th novel from Don Durillo called Zero K. It's mm-hmm. forthcoming in May. And um, it features a man named Ross. Um, He's a billionaire in his 60s. He's married to a younger woman. And he travels to a strange remote compound um, where death is controlled and bodies are preserved. And he wants his ailing wife to surrender her body. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, also included in this um, story is a heartbreaking um, story of plot of a son who's trying to reconnect with his father. Mm-hmm. So it's like a sub story to it. I think it's interesting that it's the billionaire's younger wife and not the old man himself whose health is failing. I wonder where Delillo will go with it. So what's next on the list? The next one on my list is called and the book titled La Rose by Louis Odrick. It's also forthcoming in May and we are taken to North Dakota. It's late summer, 1999. And it's, this is a very powerful and resonant story um, that explores um, themes like justice and retribution. And um, our main central character, Landro Iron, mm-hmm. um, one day accidentally shoots and kills the five-year-old son of his best friend, Peter. Oh, my goodness. And what he does next is even more shocking. He okay. gives his own five-year-old son um, to the grieving parents. Oh. <laughs> And you see that in the years that follow, Larose, his son, um, becomes a bridge between his two families. Mm-hmm. So Larose La is the son of that is given away. That is given away. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, that setup sounds like a recipe for disaster that you cannot undo, mm-hmm. like a Greek tragedy. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, but that's often what makes a great book mm-hmm. or a great tragedy, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's about all we have time for today. But thank you so much, Helen, for coming in. And we'll see you again next week. Okay, I'll be back same time next week. Let's take a song break with Dodo Se by Pyeolmaru featuring Kim Cheyong. Stay tuned for today's roundtable. Thank you. 